0: This episode of the Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links, and to our patrons at Patreon.com/slash/TheTomeShow.
1: Hey, this is Mike Merles, lead developer of Fourth Edition, and you're
0: listening to the Tome. Welcome to the Tome, a and D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner.
2: And i'm your co-host tracy hurley and in this episode number 267 we're going to join the guild of dms and see what resources they have to share so it's a grab bag of products from the dms guild
0: the idea here is that we have four people on the show and each one is going to give a mini review of a different product available on the dms guild we've tried to aim for products that would be of interest but also provide a view of the sort of variety you can expect to find on the site Uh, all these months after it's been launched. So to help us with that, we've brought in Jonathan Green. Welcome back to the show, sir. Thanks. Glad to be back. And Allison Rossi, welcome back to you as well.
3: Hello, hello.
2: Thanks for having me on. And So to that end, uh, I will be reviewing The Sun Goes Down with a Ruby Smile. Jeff will be taking al uh, Archetypes Scimitars Against the Dark. Jonathan's going to look at Adamantine Chef Supreme Challenge. And Allison's going to review the Gunslinger Martial Archetypes for Fighters.
0: So, and we're going to go in the reverse order that Tracy just uh, just explained. So we're going to start with Allison talking about the Gunslinger Archetype, um, which I think has been on the bestseller list at DM's Guild pretty much since week one
3: yeah it's it's been one of the best sellers for a while um i actually picked it up because my my dm talked to me about it and i decided to make a gunslinger for a ravenloft campaign so you uh uh well i only just got the third level so i just got (laughs) the cool stuff and we leveled up at the end of the session so i haven't gotten to actually test it out just yet but in a week or two i will be
0: okay so tell us a little bit about uh, the the Gunslinger then, other than it's been around, it's one of the older products in DM's Guild, and it's been popular for a long time. What kind of product is it? Who wrote it? What does it cost?
3: So uh, Matt Mercer is the one who wrote it, and obviously many, many people in the community, and especially those people new to the community, uh, know him from Critical Role, uh, so just... You know, quickly, they play on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Pacific on the Geek and Sundry Twitch. Um, so this PDF is a pay as you want, or pay what you want. Uh, it's a mar- martial archetype for the fighter class. So, uh, you know, it's just a three-page PDF kind of going over this archetype for for the fighter class, um, just to give you another option besides the few that are already in the book. So uh, I guess to, to start it off, um, I want to talk a little bit about the impact that this could have on um, exploration in game or social interaction or combat. So obviously a lot of classes, you know, really focus on either using magic or using swords and the like. Um, There's not anything I believe right now in any of the books that deals with using firearms. So this is definitely something new um, and something that's kind of touched on in in old talk about Ravenloft where there's different types of technology in different parts of the world. Um, So I think this could be very interesting, especially for a Ravenloft campaign, which is actually what I'm using it for. Um, So I think this is definitely one of those those, um, archetypes where you have to work with your DM to use it because normally firearms aren't being thrown into the game. So I think that this could be a lot of fun if you work with your DM and kind of collaborate a little bit before the game to see if it feels right. See if they'd actually make firearms or the parts for firearms actually available to you. Um, How they'd like to handle doing ammunition, because it seems like in the uh, PDF, it's a little bit freeform. Like, ah, you know, figure out how you would make ammunition. There's no real uh, rules for crafting it besides using your tinkerer's tools. Mm. Um, So it says that the cost and time are the DM's discretion. So obviously, this takes a little bit of time to to work with your DM and make each firearm um, and the ammunition for it, you know, an individual thing.
0: Is Is that a weakness you think of the product that it doesn't sort of detail any of how to how to do that? It just sort of leaves it up to to you?
3: So yes, definitely. I think that is a bit of a weakness. I, I mean, I like the fact that it leaves it open to to your own interpretation and doesn't make it super strict. Like, you need XYZ amount of downtime to do it. Uh, your DM can decide to, to hand wave it completely if they want to, because I know a lot of DMs just kind of hand wave like, oh, you have enough arrows. Or, you know, oh, you would make your ammunition before you go to sleep every night. You'd make n- the next day's worth of bullets. Um, but I do think that's a weak point that there's not really a guideline. It just kind of says, you know, it's up to your DM. Well, you know, DMs already have tons of things they have to manage. But now on top of that, you know, they have a player wanting to be a gunslinger. And now they have to figure out how they want to handle ammunition that's fair uh, to this class and to other players. Mm. So some people might see that as a weak point. Others that like to create things might love the fact that it's left open to them. I would personally like to see some guidelines uh, added in there. But again, it's a pay-as-you-want PDF or something that's optional. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess take it as you'd like to.
1: So one question that I have for, I guess, for the flavor of this, is this more of a... I guess, you know, Wild West, you know, gunslinger with his six shooter, or is it more of a, um, like, Three Musketeers where, yes, occasionally you might use a pistol or a musket, but then you'll fall back on, you know, traditional fighter-y type things, like, you know, a rapier or some kind of sword?
3: So that's something that I can't quite figure out myself. Like, I feel like there's an option for it to be either. Um, so they do give uh, several firearm options in the actual PDF on the last page. Ah, uh, so some of the examples they have are a pistol, a musket, a pepper box, a scatter gun, bad news, and the hand mortar. So uh, the first few are they have a cost associated with them, but bad news and hand mortar say that they're crafted. So this is again something that you'd have to work with your DM to figure out how you'd craft this because, they're they're pretty uh, they're pretty deadly. The bad news does two d twelve piercing damage, and the hand mortar does two d eight fire damage. Uh, so it's a, a little bit hefty there. Um, so so they do give you options, but I feel like you know depending on how your DM decides to do ammunition, you might definitely find yourself falling back on going back to your rapier or your sword or your bow, whatever whatever might work. Um, there's also um, an issue where if you misfire. So um, misfiring is basically uh, when you make an attack roll, uh, if it's equal to or lower than your misfire score, your weapon will misfire. So your misfire score um, is, is something that's associated with the firearms in the PDF. So, for example, the pistol it has a misfire of one. So if you roll a one, then your weapon will misfire. Uh, once it has misfired, you can't use the weapon again until you spend an action to try and repair it. So to try and repair it, you then have uh, a DC with your tinkerer's tools to repair it. So the DC is 8 plus your misfire score. So in this case, with a pistol, with a misfire of 1, it's 8 plus 1, so 9. So it can get a little bit complex with, uh, you know, shooting things and, and going into combat, but it's obviously something that, you know, players should be responsible for keeping track of. So this will actually be handy for me when I actually play this class.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so, so I guess it really depends, again, how you and your DM decide to play this with, with ammunition and, you know, um, even the f- being able to find a weapon. Uh, what happens if you lose your weapon or drop it or it's destroyed? Do you have to make a new one? How hard is it going to be to find another pistol? Will you have a bunch of pistols, you know, in bandoliers all over you? You know, can you whip out your, your cape and pull off another one? Um, I guess it, it really depends and it it's up to, to how your DM decides to play it. Um, so I so, guess that could be seen as a strength or a weakness. Um, it, it can be kind of a, a strong class depending on on what uh, combat opportunities you're given, or it could be really weak if you don't have a lot of opportunities to, uh, to use your firearm, or it breaks a lot because you roll bad. Uh, <laughs> so I guess we'll see. Okay. Um, so another thing, um, I guess with with this class and its options compared to, to the other um, archetypes, it seems like it gets a lot more things than the others, but I guess it's it's kind of necessary because um, at third level you get a firearm proficiency, obviously, which is needed to use your firearms. You also get uh, gunsmith um, and you also get grit. So uh, For gunsmith, that is actually, um, so uh, gunsmith basically gives you that proficiency with tinkerer's tools. Uh, You use it to craft your ammunition, you use it to repair your firearms, or draft and create new weapons at your DM's discretion. Um, And then you get grit. So grit is another kind of main point of the gunslinger. Uh, Your grit points are equal to your wisdom modifier. Uh, so, obviously, this makes Wisdom important for your fighter. Um, so, you uh, regain these grit points by either critting with your firearm or dealing a killing blow with your firearm. So, obviously, this might be also something useful with the rest of your party to try and coordinate so that you get killing blows if you see a monster is, you know, they're, they're more than bloodied. They're falling down, can barely attack anymore. Might be a good idea to try and and get that last hit in to get your grit points back, Um, but it also could be hard hard to coordinate um, in terms of how much damage you might do or if you misfire. So other than that, there's some shots, uh, special shots that you can do. Um, You can get a Deadeye shot at third level. Um, So that means it's one grit point, and you get advantage on your next attack roll with the firearm. So that can be nice to get advantage, especially if you end up critting, um, and you can get that point back. Um, You also get a violent shot at 7th level, so it's one or more grit points. And uh, basically, if your attack hits, you roll one additional damage die per grit point used. So that's a good way to get extra, extra damage in there. Um, However, doing violent shot also means that you have to add plus 2 to the firearm's uh, misfire score. So again, if your misfire score is 1, it's now going to be 3 if you use one grip point to do that. So if you roll a 3 or below, your firearm misfires. Mm. Um, You get a trick shot at 10th level, uh, so that's going to be one grip point. um, And it's basically like doing a called shot. So... um, There is going to be a DC for that. So the trick trick shot DC is 8, plus your proficiency bonus, plus your dex mod. So if you, say, do a trick shot at their head, they're going to take normal damage, but they make a con-saving throw, or they suffer disadvantage for their next turn. Um, Say if you shoot at their torso with this trick shot, they're going to take normal damage, but they're going to be pushed 10 feet directly away from you. Uh, There's also one for the arms or the legs and the wings. Um, At 15th level, you get Piercing Shot, so that's going to be one Grit Point. Um, If your attack hits, you can make an attack roll against every creature in a line directly behind this target uh, within your first range increment. Um, So if you do that with a pistol, the range increment is 100. So basically, if there's a bunch of creatures in a line and you want to keep on carrying that bullet through them, it's possible with this. Um, And only the first shot through the first creature uh, will misfire. Um, But each creature additionally that it hits, you have to roll an attack roll for it. Um, Then, uh, yeah, it's basically, it gets a little bit stronger as you go on further. Um, As a class
0: usually should, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. So, Like, I can definitely see it getting extremely overpowered if in the right hands mm-hmm. uh, especially combined with other things that you can get as you level up um but again this is something i definitely have to see in action to really know uh how overpowered it can be
0: so as i understand it the gunslinger um that matt mercer has on dm's guild was a conversion from the pathfinder class gunslinger
2: I was going to ask because it sounds very similar. I believe
0: I believe that's the way it's described in the in the description of the product is that he just converted the the Pathfinder uh, class. Do you think that that is a strength because he's leaning on something that's been well tested and played, or a weakness in that it's it doesn't feel as fifth edition-y? Uh,
3: I feel like that's hard to say. I feel like reading over itself, um, it doesn't really feel like fifth edition to me. Um, but I I could definitely see it as being a weakness, just, just kind of converting it from Pathfinder, because we all know that Pathfinder has a million books now, and probably will have a million more, um, in different options that you can have, which for some people is great, but I feel like the whole reason I'm so drawn to 5e is because there's so, so much less stuff, Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if, if Gunslinger really fits in most places But I guess it would be nice for those Who really want that kind of special Snowflake character which I guess I'm saying about myself is my character <laughs> Is as, as, <laughs> as a special snowflake But to be fair again my DM Did recommend me trying it, So, it. Mm. You know. um, but yeah I don't know I don't know if it would be a good or bad thing um, but I guess it's definitely, it, it would be a good thing to get more people to come over to 5e from Pathfinder if this is already pre kind of transferred over to 5e rule sets. Um, so I, I guess I could see r- the reason why you would want to directly convert something from Pathfinder to 5e. Um, We'll just see. We'll see if it works out. But obviously, it's selling well. It's got 86 ratings just right now. So mm-hmm. I imagine it's it's just gonna you know stick around for a while and continue to go well. People will like it.
0: Okay. And how long have you had the product?
3: Um, I have probably had it for about a month to two months now. Okay. Um, since we started planning our Ravenloft campaign and I started planning out my character. Uh, I just, well I just didn't know if it.
0: I I just didn't know if it had, had any uh, updates that you knew about. but
3: um, This is on version 1.2 <coughs> right So it's now. had a f- couple, yeah. Um, so it seems like it's had a little bit of updates. Um, on the DMs Guild, it says that they clarified grit, uh, something about grit. They uh, fixed something about the improved quick draw, and they changed some things about the trick shot. So there have been a few small changes or clarifications that have been added to it okay. since probably the original release.
0: Mm-hmm. Any other questions for Allison about the Gunslinger?
1: Uh, yeah, I so, only
3: touched on a few things, uh, because there's quite a bit to it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: One thing that you, you very briefly mentioned, so does this still have that same problem that, I, I mean, I guess I saw it a lot in, in 3.5, and I'm assuming it's still there in Pathfinder, whereas, especially with anything where there's, like, a failure waiting do you get kind of those ridiculous characters like, right, so I've got 30 guns stashed in my body just in case one of them breaks so they can like pull it and shoot it and then throw it away and then grab new ones. Does this still kind of present that exact same type of problem?
3: So I feel like it could, but at the same time, I feel like it would take a while for that to present itself. So as I mentioned with the misfire, um, your attack roll has to be equal to or lower than the misfire score for your weapon to misfire. So the example you used was the, with the pistol, the misfire was one. So, I mean, if you're, if you're critically failing anyways, you know, the generally bad things can happen. Some DMs rule that, you know, you, you drop your weapon or you accidentally throw it or you completely, you know, you broke your bow, whatever it may be. Um, and then, you know, with a musket, it has a misfire of two, pepper box, misfire two. Um, so they're, they're, you'd have to roll pretty low. To actually damage her weapon, um, but I could see it being useful to to have uh, multiple on you, especially because you have to reload. Mm-hmm. Um, so reloading, um, your weapon can be fired a number of times equal to the reload score. So in the example with the pistol, your reload is four, so you can fire it four times be have to, before you have to reload, and you mm-hmm. have to spend an action uh, or your attack to re- or to reload. So you know that that's not too bad. I guess uh, you need a free hand to reload it. So you're not going to be, you know, holding, holding a shield in your hand while trying to reload, or you're not going to be holding your torch while trying to reload. Um, so I can see the benefits of having a bunch of them. Saying, around
0: but you. if you're carrying six <laughs> pistols, then misfires and reloading is never an issue for you.
3: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, so if your no, DM no. lets you do that, fantastic. You're mm-hmm. just going to be shooting everything down. <laughs>
1: So it really is kind of up to the DM to try to try to make sure those inherent balancing factors in the class stay relevant and aren't just you know, kind of an annoyance that you bypass by.
0: Yeah, yes, I suppose it d- okay. depends on on the setting the DM sets, right? Okay. If they're in a setting where where firearms are commonplace, then then you just have to recognize that that's going to change the the some of the balancing features of the class.
3: Exactly, exactly. Like, if you're just running around Faerun, chances are, you know, you're not going to find firearms all over the place. It's just not going to happen. Not even in Ravenloft. You know, I talked to my DM when he suggested it, and he said, um, you know, I have to figure out the whole, you know, where are you going to get firearms thing. And I was like, well, you're going to make them available, right? Like, I will have the option to find them. And he said, you know, yeah, but it's just a matter of where and when you find them. So, okay, so I have to to wait to actually find them, and then mm. perhaps later, you know, once I have them, uh, you know, I can use my tinkering tools to try and make my own one, perhaps. <laughs> right. Okay. So we'll see.
0: Any other questions? Uh, they're pretty expensive
3: oh. too. I guess I could add. Um, they're oh, is firearms the pistol is uh, yeah the pistol is two hundred and fifty gold. Hmm. Um, musket's five hundred and pepperbox four fifty. scattergun is five hundred. So they're 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 quite pricey uh, compared to your usual weaponry.
0: And that probably assumes a level of rarity. Is that? you're thinking about why it's expensive, or?
3: I think so, yes. Um, Because, you know, I could see this as the only reason you were able to get them is because you traveled, you know, deep into the earth where you found special, uh you know, a special uh, a group of dwarves who makes firearms, and mm-hmm. this is something new and rare, so you have to pay the premium. Or, you know, there's only one seller in all of Ravenloft, and getting to them is really difficult because you're traveling wherever through the mist, so you know, they want a pretty penny for it.
0: Mm-hmm. You have to go deal with the Vistani.
3: Yeah, yeah. They're,
0: they're the only ones traveling from place to place that could probably get you some <laughs> stuff, you know?
3: Exactly, exactly.
0: Right on. So, if there's no more questions for Allison about the Gunslinger, hearing none, we will move on to Jonathan, who's going to talk to us about the Adam and Teen Chef adventure so jonathan what can you tell us about adamantine chef
1: uh right so adamantine chef it's a uh it's a kind of, it's a one-shot adventure um it's designed to be about four hours for uh, players between third level and fifth level um it's written by uh i'm gonna butcher his uh, his surname but uh it's teos uh, uh, abadia mm-hmm. uh, he also goes by alpha stream on twitter yeah um and he is i guess he's very well known in the adventurers league for uh, doing a lot of their stuff. He's done a lot of things for wizard. If you look back through at uh, dragon and dungeon magazine from fourth edition, you'll see his name pop up all over the place. And I think his big kind of rise to uh, notoriety was the ashes of Athens uh, um, mm. organized play event during fourth edition. So he's written a lot of stuff and this is just kind of his latest thing. And his first thing completely on his own that you'll find on the, uh, on the dm's guild all of his other previous stuff has been through watsi
0: and it's a um, five dollar adventure if i looked it up right
1: yeah f- five dollars and again this is it's designed as kind of a uh, you know a one-shot mm-hmm. uh, adventure i think it overall is about 16 pages long um a little bit of art on it nothing uh nothing too fancy but mainly it's um like right yeah hey, here's this adventure have fun go crazy um so for this the uh, I mean the obvious nod is of course to, uh, to iron Chef and uh, it's it takes a lot of things from that and then just really expounds them into d and d silliness the the vague story behind it and i'll I'll keep it kind of spoiler free is that um, so even though so this is set in the forgotten realms, particularly in koa co tour yeah mm-hmm. Co-a-tour? yes. Uh, and the idea is that the emperor, every year, he he says, right, there's going to be one uh, one chef who makes all my all my meals. It's a great honor. And every year, all the chefs from around, from across the across the nation can compete to try to be the the next adamantine chef. And then, you know, once and at the very end of the competition, they have to face the current adamantine chef. And then, whoever wins, you get to cook for the emperor for a year. And that's and that's kind of the the background. And in this, the uh, there's a new challenger who's who's rising up and. There's somebody trying to sabotage him, so the PCs they have to uh, meet up with this guy and then really help him, you know, through all of his challenges to become the next adamantine chef. Um, this is a this is a very silly adventure, like silly and a very fun, tongue-in-cheek. Like this is not um, this is not something you'd want to enter into, like include in your your like grim and dark Ravenloft game with you know with all of its horror. Um, this is more of a hey, you know, we've had some serious stuff for a while. We need, like, a nice, fun kind of palate cleanser. Let's do this, you know, just kind of as a, as a session tonight. That's kind of the the niche that this, uh, that this adventure fills. Um, so one thing, as I was reading through this, uh, it became, I guess, how... It became very, very obvious how much Tales has been involved uh, with Wizards of the Coast and with Adventurers League and with all of their... Um, and with all of their, uh, their entire products mm-hmm. um, line so far. So there are a number of places where it says, hey, here's how you can, you can tie this into the Tyranny of Dragons game. Here's where you can tie it into mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Prince of the Apocalypse. Even a, play, even a couple of instances where it says, right, you actually might be able to tie it into Out of the Abyss here and here and here. Um, And that includes references to, like, hey, so to start the PCs on this mission, if you need an NPC, here's one of those people from each of those adventures where you can use to tie it in. So you've got a lot of things like that that are uh, scattered throughout here. Um, there's also a lot of influences from... Uh, actually, from 4th edition. Just as, I, as I'm reading through this, uh, things I'm like, you know what? I think originally this was written as a skill challenge, and this has just been converted over to 5th edition. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of things that kind of... Uh, I Have a a slight yeah fourth edition uh, feel for for lack of a better term. Does it and convert considering... well?
0: Does the skill challenge things convert well?
1: I think so. Um, unfortunately, I've not gotten a chance to play it. I've just gotten to uh, to read it uh, through a few times. But um, in rather than just being the very pure skill challenge that uh, that you would have seen in fourth edition, this seems to open it up a lot more. Like, right, here's a lot of here's how you can roleplay this. Here's some guidelines. If skills come up, here's the skills that you use. If not, just role play it out and let the characters try to try to work this out as however they would. Um, but you can definitely tell that, oh right, your background is very heavily fourth edition, and you've still got some of that, uh, some of those mindsets, uh, which it works out well. So you've got some uh, very different type of combat encounters, um, and of course the the big finale is a uh, is a food fight uh, rather than an actual you know. <laughs> pull out weapons and fight each other there's a a little bit are there new are there
0: mechanics for how a food fight works
1: uh yeah so it's kind of so there's a little bit of a right you know the emperor's going to be there no one's allowed any weapons you can't cast spells so he gets to this final fight and like you know unless you're a monk and you just you know right my my weapon is my fists (laughs) then you've got to figure out something so like right here's these different here's these different uh food items here's the bonus they would be here's you know the damage that they would do or uh yeah you've got these uh You've got the special dessert over here, but it's poison. So if you can, you know, if you can force this down somebody's throat, then they'll take this poison damage and <laughs> lots of very goofy, silly things like that.
3: That is well um, thought out, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's really fun. It's... it's The whole thing is so goofy. So the main... Um, and also so many, like, bad Chinese food pun names. Like, there's, there's just a lot of them. Um, the uh, main... This NPC that you're escorting, the one who's the challenger for the, the title of adamantine chef, is uh, his name is Mu Pan. And just as I'm reading this, the mental image that's in my head, and just from his, his attitude, his mannerisms, is the duck from Kung Fu Panda, like the original Kung Fu Panda, <laughs> like the duck who serves the noodles. It is very uh-huh. much this nice topic. Like, I am so happy to be serving this food, and this is going to be great. Everything's fine and wonderful. There's nothing that cannot be served or that cannot be fixed, you know, with a good meal. And you can just, like, it's, uh, again, it is very tongue-in-cheek. It is not serious. But this is this would be one of those that, you know, if you've been running, like, say, say Elemental Evil, and it's been, you know, you've got cultists, you've got all these bad things coming on and, and coming around, and you just like, right, you know, tonight we just need to laugh and we need to have fun. That's what this, uh, this adventure is for.
0: And, and I assume, coming from Teos, that it's... uh the mechanics are are fairly strong and balanced.
1: yeah. Um, mechanics are solid. It's all presented very, very clearly. I mean, this is like I, i've I've read some mediocre adventures on on DM's Guild, and this is definitely one where you're like, oh, this guy has this guy has experience. Um, if you're looking for just a little bit of uh, uh, carica, this is a good place to start because it gives a lot, lots of times like right. So if your players aren't familiar with that, or if you've never been, here's mm-hmm. a good starting place from like from the area around Cormier, here's where you, you can start meeting some of the NPCs and kind of give them slight tastes. So if you're, if you think, you know what, I want to bring in a little bit of uh, Cora tour and bring in some of this, uh, I guess I would want to say more obscure area of the forgotten realms for people who are you know, just used to playing on the sword coast or just used to playing in uh, Cormier uh, this is a really nice way to do it.
0: Yeah, Kurator is actually interesting. It's one of the areas of the world that is not actually considered to be within the Forgotten Realms campaign setting. It's on the same planet, but it's its own separate setting. Uh, so that was the the base setting in the, I think it was the third edition uh, Oriental Adventures, and, and it had been around yeah. prior to that as well. Um, and, and technically it's on the same continent, you know, in the same way that Asia and Europe are kind of a, a supercontinent. Um, um, Farun, which is where the Forgotten Realms is housed, um, is on the same continent as Karatur. and so I don't think there's been any official mention or detailing of Karatur yet.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's this whole the whole adventure is very much a let's just play up some. I mean, I guess some of those ridiculous, uh, I mean, Asian stereotypes not mm-hmm. not stereotypes that's the wrong word uh, tropes. Mm. Um, and again, like things like Kung Fu Panda are very, very strong in this. Um, and just lots of silly things. So, um, you know, while while one of the meals is being prepared, somebody sabotaged the entertainment that was going to be there for the Emperor. So, you know, as the PCs, can you figure out a way to do some calligraphy? All right, there's going to be a haiku contest. Figure, Find someone who's going to go and write a haiku, and they've got to come back and perform it. So lots of little things like that, <laughs> that with the right group could be an absolute blast.
0: Yeah, sounds um, like fun.
3: A lot of this reminds me of uh, Cutthroat Kitchen with Alton Brown. Is there a character that is like Alton Brown in this?
1: There probably is. Um, Yeah, like
3: a host, like the guy who kind of, uh, I guess, conducts uh, the craziness or helps uh, sabotage uh, the different groups or whatever it may be. Anything like that or or like how he was an Iron Chef, anything like that?
1: Um, a little bit, uh, not, there's not quite a direct translation over it, and I'm not, I'm not as familiar with cutthroat kitchen, but okay. there definitely is an aspect of, uh, you know, a, a minor mystery that you have to solve. Like, okay, who's really, who's sabotaging, who's going wrong, you know, what's going wrong. Oh no, there's some missing, missing ingredients. Now you got to go out and we got to find mm-hmm. the, the important ingredients and then try to make a meal out of that. So there That's are some okay. aspects of that, but, um, but not directly cutthroat kitchen. But you can definitely see, except like nods and influences to to these kinds of things.
3: So uh, another thing I was thinking of when you were talking about it is actually this wouldn't be too bad right now uh, to tie in with the uh, the new tool feats from Unearthed Arcana. How they have the uh, the gourmand uh, feat, so it's uh, being a, a master of special recipes and preparing exotic dishes. Um, you know, you can expect inspect drinks or, or uh, food for poison um, and you can create feasts to help your allies recover from battle and stuff so that would actually be something cool uh that you could even tie in to try that out oh in your yeah
0: games. good afternoon yeah,
1: so if, yeah, if you came into this at, at third level and you know once you hit the fourth level then you can take that feat if you um especially if you like enjoy really incorporating large parts of the story into things like you know how your characters get level up level up abilities or how they earn feats this would be an amazing way to segue with it and like, hey, yes, actually, you did learn how to make these fantastic meals and you learned it from the adamantine chef of Carrot Tour. That's how you know how to make these ridiculous meals that heal everybody and give them advantage on their constitution and that's yeah, that would tie in phenomenally well.
0: Hmm. Right on. Any other questions about adamantine chef? It sounds interesting to me. It's, it's also the, I think, the most expensive of, theoretically, of the products that we're discussing, given that two of them are pay-what-you- want. Um... But it sounds like a fun
3: but, adventure. Yeah, I think I'm actually going to uh, buy it right now because that sounds hilariously
1: fun. it feels a fills a very specific uh, niche, but um, but if you're looking for that, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well, and again, and, and five
0: bucks is not an unreasonable price for an adventure, right? No, yeah, it's,
1: it's comparable in price to the other adventures, League uh, adventures that you can buy.
2: Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, and, I definitely
1: say it's worth the money.
2: And Terra seems that if. People have questions or anything um, in the DMs guild uh, comments area. He responds to them and everything too, and he takes feedback.
1: Uh, yeah, and has done lots of. Uh, I mean, he even looking at this, like he's gone through. And this the ver- current version is version one point two because some people were uh, some people gave him feedback that they want to be able to select and copy the text, or they want a very easy printable version. So now you would you download it and you can get. Um, yeah, and you can go through, you can highlight, you can select stuff, you can go a, a low-ink print version. And uh, Teos also on Twitter, if you ask him a question about this, uh, I think it's at Alphastream,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, he's uh, he's very quick to respond. He's a again, really solid member of the community that um, I'm very happy to support. In the interest of full disclosure, he also hired me to write an adventure for Aethis of Bathys once. So
0: so I'm a little bit,
1: I'm (laughs) a little bit biased towards him. He's, like I said, I've I've done some work for him before, but he really is a fantastic member of the community.
0: Well, I've never, uh, I've never had, I've never done any work for him before and I will back up and verify your statement.
2: And uh, also some of the art that he used in it is from the Prismatic Art Collection.
0: Oh, he used art from your collection. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so I think that covers Adamantine Chef. I am going to go next. I'm talking about a product called Alcadim Archetypes Scimitars Against the Dark, and apparently we are biased for products um, that are on version 1.2 because mine is also a version 1.2. I think it's this is our, our <laughs> third one in a row that's been version 1.2, um, and I didn't necessarily realize this from the description um, until I. Bought it and was flipping through some of the intro information. But the the uh, the product is largely a conversion of a Dragon Magazine article called Campaign Journal, Scimitars Against the Dark. Um, which, if I'm remembering from the introductory text a little bit, I think may have been written by Wolfgang Bauer, who's been a long-time um, guest on the show. Uh, so... It is Al Qadim is another one of those areas that is kind of on the same well is definitely on the same world as the Forgotten Realms, uh, but like karatur isn't part of sort of Forgotten Realms proper. It's it's its own setting to the far south, whereas Karatür is to the far east, um, and Al Qadim has always been their sort of um, Arabian sort of setting. Uh, and so I've I've been long interested in. Seeing a return to Alcadim, and when uh, it was discussed, when DMs Guild came out that Alcadim and Carater and Mazteca and these other places would be covered under that license, I was excited to see some people putting out some Alcadim products. So I decided to pick this one up. It is a uh, dollar forty, which seems like an odd price uh, point, uh, and written by somebody named Jeremy Forbing. And I don't know anything about Jeremy Forbing. He's got um, several products on DM's Guild. I think five or six at this point. Uh, one of which is this al one. Then there's another one that's sort of a Ravenloft version of the same thing it looks like. There's one that is a specific uh, monster template that is also included in this product. So it looked like he was maybe just trying to float this concept and, and, and play with it a little bit before he put it into the larger, you know, for-pay product. Um but otherwise, I, I don't know anything else about Jeremy Forbing, and I think that'll give uh, a nice sort of um, variety to to what we're discussing, right? Because Matt Mercer is well-known, Teos Ab- Ab- Abadia, um, and I also can never pronounce his last name. Um, it, it, and then Jeremy, of course, is, is probably the one so far that I don't know anything about at all. So, um, yeah, anyway. It provides a several class archetypes it gives a new uh cleric domain a new um fighter build a new paladin build or oath um the mariner is a ranger build and then there's the tomb robber which is a rogue build and then a new uh wizard school as well the school of the sun gazer and then it gives you one new race a sea-based dragonborn race Five new spells, all zero, first, or second level. Um, a couple of new pieces of equipment, specifically the cutlass and the razor claw, and then a handful of what four or five new monsters that are all sort of built around this idea of if you want to start playing an alcadim campaign or a similar style of campaign. Um, here's some some stuff to sort of seed into what we already have for D anD D to make that possible. So. I feel like it captures the flavor of al Qadim pretty well. The The descriptive text is really on point, um, and it gives a good sort of mix of things that you can sprinkle in to add some of that feel to it. Um, it hits the Arabian feel. I guess it's okay, but it really seems to... The, the author really seems to enjoy... Adding in this sort of Lovecraftian feel, which I don't remember being a big part of Alcadim, but it, it seems like he's done his research and, and it was definitely there. So maybe it just wasn't in the campaign that I ran of Alcadim back in my college days. Um, but it's definitely there's a lot of aberration, um, far realmsy, you know, great old ones sort of issues here. There's a few mi- minor typos here and there, and, and probably could have used uh, you know an editor to go through here. Here and there, um, and in terms of the stats, I found um, I found the monsters to be particularly strong, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, and, and they, I think their their challenge rating is appropriate for how strong they are. Um, but there's, you're not going to be adding a lot of uh, weaker creatures f- through this way. So you have uh, the the new monsters that he's created is called the deep, one of them is the deep cultist. Um, which is kind of, think mermaid slash deep one, if you want to combine your mythologies. Uh, then there's one called the Great Ghoul, which is, is imagine a sentient spellcasting, like CR, CR 10 ghoul creature. Um, then there's the template, the pseudo-natural creature, which is sort of take a normal creature and make it weird and aberrant and Far Realmsian Uh, The Rom, which is an undead musical giant. And then the Zakarin Kraken, because I guess he didn't think that the Kraken in the Monster Manual was um, deadly enough. So there's the CR-24 Kraken that, you know, just grabs ships and pulls them out to the bottom of the ocean and eats them all.
3: Um, The bigger, you go home there with that. (laughs) Yeah,
0: absolutely, yeah. So so I guess the monsters in general are all, uh, like, the... The deep cultist isn't super strong, and the pseudonatural creature template, of course, can be added to just about anything. But all the others are pretty um, – fairly powerful. Um, and so I guess you'd have to know that going into it. And some of them I also find fairly complex. I think it was the Zakhar and Kraken um, that the actual stat block goes on for multiple pages, uh, which is not what? the way things normally what? work for 5th edition, right?
3: Wow, that. Huh. That's a lot of information. <laughs>
0: right. Uh, it, it goes on for a page and a half. Now, some of that is, you know, the legendary actions and and that kind of stuff. Um,
3: does it have the lore included in all of that? Like, does it have a blurb about its background?
0: the The total the total entry for the Zakaran Kraken is three pages. Um, <sighs> the, the first page is mostly lore, and then it gets into sort of layer actions and regional effects, and then the actual stat block itself is a good page and a half.
3: Okay, so lair actions helps make sense of why it's so long. I mean, with dragons, their lair action is generally on the second page or so and takes up a big chunk. So I guess, I like, right. do you think it's a good or a bad thing that it takes up so much space? Like, is it, it should it take up that much space?
0: Um, I feel like it probably could have been simplified. Like, I, I think it, it's fine that it takes up that much space, although it would be more fine if I had a physical book of it, right? But the idea behind uh, the idea of flipping back and forth between PDF pages when I'm in the middle of an encounter with this giant monster um, is not particularly appealing. Uh, And then trying to find that one little thing that I need, like the it gets, I don't know, a third of a column on just the description of what happens when when you get bitten by the kraken. Wow. Which seems like it could be simplified, but largely because it has this whole swallow mechanic, right? That you get eaten, and then here's what happens when you've been swallowed and, and all this other stuff, right? So that's not an, an insignificant thing. Like, I don't know what I would remove, but it does certainly seem um, seem to be a lot to cover there. Uh, the classes I found, the class archetypes I found to be much more um, streamlined, I guess. For the most part they're they're pretty straightforward the 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 new cleric domain which is the defender domain which is very much tied to this this um this organization of priest defenders who are trying to not just protect the religion but protect the they're like a secret group within the the faith that is part of this larger organization that's trying to protect the the entire sort of continent if you will um, that goes on for a page and a half. And then there's, um, there's the Janissary, which is the, the martial sort of fighter archetype, um, which technically is only a page, but it has two additional pages of sidebars that go with it. So it's kind of a page and it's kind of three pages. Uh, he does this thing on, on several of the classes where there are sidebars with, like, additional abilities for this, but get your DM's approval first sort of things, which is always interesting. Cause it's like, well, then how did you balance the design? Like, if this is an optional thing, like, adding it would be a significant increase in power. But if it's not there, are, are you too weak, you know? Uh, I, mean, it, I guess it,
3: that's it, uh, a good throw out there for the the power gamers maybe like well do you allow power gamers i don't know (laughs) well and and some
0: of that i mean and the and i think all of the the additional abilities things that i that i see um as i've read through it is is like spend x number of days sort of marshalling assistance and you can bring in like recruits and it brings in more npcs to help the party which I guess isn't, you know, in itself in the middle of a of a combat encounter necessarily unbalancing, right? But if you spend ten days, you could get together a small army to to come and help you go, you know, plow through that dungeon.
3: Yeah, that 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 reminds me of I think it was the leadership feat in in three mm-hmm. five, um, where you could just get a, a small yeah a small army you just of people following yeah. around yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of what it what it does. And it's it's converting from from second edition where you could also do some of those sorts of things. Um followers have have a long old tradition um with D&D. So I guess I don't have a particular issue with it. I just don't know that it, I'm not sure how you how you balance a class when you have fairly significant things like that that are optional, you know? And I thought there were also some some complexity balance questions, like nothing that was like completely game breaking. But there were several times when I was looking through these class options, and I'm looking at particularly these like keystone sort of these are the the initial when you first take this archetype power that sort of defines how this power works. um, That I always I, I always thought I oftentimes thought is this just a little too much? Like the the cleric domain um, gets a power called Anointed Defender, where every single time you hit an enemy with your weapon, they have to make a Wisdom save or their speed is halved. With just a basic attack.
1: Oh, that would get every a lot single of time rolling.
0: Right, every I'll single time. <laughs> right, uh, and the the Janissary. What is it? Um, you choose this at third level. Um, if you successfully hit and damage an opponent with a weapon attack on your turn, you can then use the help action as a bonus action to assist an ally in striking the same opponent. So every single time I hit somebody, one of my friends also gets to, gets a bonus for hitting that same that same opponent. Uh, and I guess none of the powers necessarily seem o- completely overpowered, but I I would think some sort of limitation, like a number per day or a number per encounter or something that it could be done would probably be more balanced?
1: What you were just saying with the uh, with the cleric archetype, I'm I'm going back, to I'm mentally thinking about that Unearthed Arcana article about feats. Mm. And there was one, like you know, every time you hit somebody with a, uh, it was an example of a bad feat. And it's like, yeah, every time you hit someone with it, they have to make a strength saving throw. And Mike Morales came right out and said, don't, don't add something that's going to require that much extra dice rolling. Mm. Because even though it's flavorful, that's, it just is going to do nothing, be nothing but a time suck.
0: Yeah. Well, and there's a, and, and and yeah, I find a lot of, of not, and they're not all necessarily time, time issues or lots of dice on, on a lot of these, but sometimes they are right. Like every single time you, you roll an attack, making a save is going to add a lot of time to your, to your combats. Right. And that's one of the, the beauties of fifth edition is that combats move so smoothly and quickly. So, as you add complexity into your game, just be aware of what complexity you're adding and, and how that's going to affect that that flow, I guess. Is that kind of the the gist of what Mike Merles was saying in that article, you think?
1: Yeah, pretty much. This arcane tradition, the school of the sungazer, is that the same as, I think it's the Sheir? The because isn't that the famous wizardy type from... Alcadim is something called the Shair Mage.
0: It is not the Shayir, which I was actually kind of disappointed in. Like that's the class I really wanted to see. There was a couple of things that I really liked from Alcadim in terms of character options. Um, there was that one, and there was a there was a Mystic class that, I, and those two I really enjoyed back in the second edition days. Uh, the School of the Sun Gazer is really, and again, this goes back to my my point that I think he really nails the Lovecraft but not as much sometimes, at least in the mechanics, not as much the Arabian feel. Like in the flavor text, he hits the Arabian feel really well. Um, but the School of the Sungazer is basically um, somebody who's constantly looking outside of this world and gaining power from these great old ones and what have you. Um, and it is one, and he, he even added a sidebar, like a, almost a half a page sidebar saying, look, this class is really complex just heads up you know because it it adds this whole um, not only are you casting spells but you get a certain number of lore dice and you get more lore dice as you go up in level and it's this you know arcane forbidden scary lore you know this this for you know the the great old one sort of thing right Uh, and then you can use the lore dice to power these eldritch wards and there are sort of like these extra little things you can do to to enhance your spells or to you know to enhance your abilities or what have you but of course every time you do there's this um potential backlash or taint or insanity that you can sort of pick up and and as i look through it i'm like well this sounds like really complex a lot of resources to manage between what spells do i have and what's memorized and what's cast versus what um what eldritch wards do i have and how many lord dice do i still have and all these other things you know and what levels of insanity have i reached and all these sorts of things um, so this, not only does it seem like there's a lot to, to keep track of, but as I'm looking through it, I'm like, there's enough backlash on using this, this arcane forbidden dark lore that I'm like, I don't know that I would actually play it. Like, it's the one of the class options that I'm like, I, I don't know that there's any mechanical advantage to doing this. Other, I mean, this flavor, like, if you want to play a wizard who's slowly going crazy, like, this <laughs> this will do it, right?
3: I could see Edgy McEdgelord wanting to play this with like a hermit background, where they don't, their family's dead, and they're slowly going crazy, and all, I, I could see it fitting that kind of mm. player's needs.
0: Yeah, I just don't know that it's like the complexity is necessarily worth it, right? I would have much rather seen a Shayir class or what have you. Um, I, I feel like if if he really wanted to hit the Arabian bit of, of Zakara, adding in some of that elemental and genie stuff a little bit more would have been. Would have been really cool to see. Um, that said, there's some really cool stuff in here, and um, there's a lot here that I might, I might steal and and reskin and whatever, and stick into my uh, my post-apocalyptic fantasy setting that I'm playing right now. Um, so so there's a lot of cool things there. It's just there's some some just there's nothing big that has me worried about it. But there's all definitely these little things, right? These little balance issues. Um, that that I just sort of would l- want to keep an eye on, or maybe as a DM tweak a little bit before I implement it, or what have you. But all in all, I was very happy with the dollar forty I spent. Uh, and from a relative newcomer, the artwork is, uh, I think is all sort of you know um, uh, fair use or or uh, provided by the the SRD or what have you. Uh, and sometimes it matches up really well with with what he's what he's writing about, and sometimes it doesn't. But that's yeah. Kinda... I would
3: say a uh, dollar forty for all of that for stuff all of that, that is yeah. a lot of stuff to get for $1.40 that right. is that is a lot
0: yeah so it's definitely it's definitely worth it and i and i really liked the the flavor and the description and just sort of getting that taste of this Al-Qadim arabian setting again sort of back into my into my mind um, was really cool and i and i as i was reading through it i also recognized i'm like oh You could take this and completely set it into like a primeval Thule campaign really easily. Primeval Thule was done by Sasquatch Games and it's their sort of Conan meets Lovecraft setting. Uh, and if you just wanted to, you know, and even in Conan, it's not unheard of for him to go to Arabian type places, right? So, this would fit in really well, sort of, I think, into that campaign setting. I
1: mean, so I guess the biggest question is. After you read this, did you were you filled with the urge to either run an Alcadim campaign or play one of these uh one of these
0: archetypes um yeah, so i normally I normally run I don't do a lot of playing, but I do get some in uh there are certainly some archetypes here that I would check out um if you know with the caveat to my dm of but let's keep an eye on some things because I think there's some some possible balance small balance issues um to take note of. Um, in fact, I, I think other than that wizard, the, the school of the stargazer, I think I'd be interested in, in playing around with any of the, the class options there. Um, the race option, which was the sea based dragonborn, eh, I I don't know. It was, it, it was a, it was one page out of a 33 page document. Um, and, and it was, it was fine. It was basically taking dragonborn and making them, you know, aquatic amphibious creatures and, um... That was basically it. It wasn't super exciting, um, but I guess I'm not super excited about Dragonborn anyway. Um, but yeah, so other, but in terms of playing or running a game of Alcadim, I think I would be very interested in running a game of Alcadim if I could get just a little bit more support for it, like this plus like one more product like it, and you know I have the the PDF of the old. Um, the old second edition alcadem setting. I think those three things could could then be all the conversion I need. Um, so if I just had mostly because I can't imagine running Alcadim without having all the the genies and the genie lore and, and all the elemental stuff going on. And you can get a lot of that out of just the monster manual. But there's I feel like there's just a little bit more support I could use. Um, so I would totally be all about an Alcadim game if I didn't have to create fill in all the blanks on my own. So if this is like volume one of of two, then I'm totally on board. Does that answer the question? Yes. All right, well, if there are no other questions for me about al I feel like I've rambled for a long time and had very few questions, <laughs> uh, which is great. Um, Tracy's going to go ahead and talk last. She gets to fill us in on a, an adventure called The Sun Goes Down with a Ruby Smile.
2: Yeah, so it's uh, Pay What You Want on DM's Guild. But, and the author is Remley Lee Farr, who also did the cartography, and there's an artist, Sean Daly. And one of the reasons why I wanted to try to review this one is because the adventure does have art that was custom made for the adventure itself mm-hmm. which was seemed a lot different than a lot of the other stuff I saw in the marketplace mm-hmm. uh, so it builds itself as a mystery adventure that focuses more on the role-playing aspects than maybe kicking down doors uh, with your swords drawn uh, and, I, and I think it does do that pretty well. Uh, it's kind of so it's for three to five players at level one. And it's kind of expected that your DM will just kind of throw this at you. Uh, the setup in the adventure is that you're on a ship and there's a storm and you have to uh, find some place safe to spend the night off the ship. And you, and you come across a town and you don't meet any people at first, at least.
0: So is it intended to be sort of your your introduction, your your first sort of adventure in a campaign?
2: I think that's one way to do it, and I think it might even be uh, almost, like, for people pretty new uh, or who are highly interested in role-playing. Okay. Um, I don't want to give away too much about the mystery, because it's a mystery one. Mm. Uh, but I, I guess, like, one uh, a couple of things that I found interesting is that it definitely is, I think, it's some somewhat degree more of an adult adventure not in that I think it has to be but if you are playing with kids things you should know about are that alcohol tobacco and drugs all come up in it hmm. Uh. which I know can be an issue for some people uh, one of the other interesting things is that the players the player characters start off with exhaustion
0: uh, ooh and at first level.
2: Yeah.
0: First level characters uh, are already squishy. <laughs> you want you give them exhaustion? Yeah. Too? How do
3: you how do you feel about that, Tracy? Like have like almost forcing them to be exhausted from the start? Like I don't know. How I feel about that as a DM.
2: Yeah. So I think part of it. Um. One of the things I haven't really talked about the author much. I haven't looked um into the author beyond just knowing that um there are ads in the back for uh a young adult novel series mm. that they've done. So they're an author. And I think they're trying to set up this uh, exhaustion. The way you get through the exhaustion in the adventure is to like start a fire and, and make yourself comfortable in town, which would lead to exploration. But the problem with fir- the one of the problems I potentially see is that first level exhaustion in D and D fifth edition means that you take a disadvantage on uh, skill checks. so you're trying to explore but unless you've taken the time to get warm and everything you're it's going to be harder for you to explore if mm-hmm. that makes sense so especially I thought, if you're,
3: you're new to, to 5e i feel like that that's not really intuitive uh to do
2: yeah no and that was the, that was the thing It was like I, I i think i can sense where the author is going with it but at the same time i wonder if all those implications were necessarily thought through and how many dms actually hold to the exhaustion part uh, when you start out, but I think overall it's relatively easy to get rid of it uh, quickly, as long as uh, it felt a little bit like a a stick to get players to do what you want them to do, rather than maybe something that was necessary for the adventure.
0: Yeah, it's trying what trying to set some sort of a tone for the kind of story right. it's going to be, whether you like it or not.
2: Yeah, and uh, and and I definitely. It feels, to a degree, like it's a much more gritty adventure. Uh, in in some ways, like you're dealing with this mystery of people missing. You may find some bodies pretty quickly, stuff like that. And it's kind of a, a dark adventure in that mm. way. Um, okay. But it seems like pretty well written. All of the reviews on DMs Guild people said that they were able to run it. Uh, without any problems uh, from what was written there and everything, and uh, like I said, the, they really spent a lot of time getting the art to, ma- like, getting custom art for it. Uh, the layout is great. Um, they clearly, the they clearly spent time to make it look good too, which I thought was pretty interesting, particularly for a pay what you want product.
0: Mm-hmm. And and how you said that one of the things that attracted you to it was that it has original art. How, uh, how what did you feel about the art?
2: I, I thought it was pretty cool. It's a uh, it, it's definitely more stylized art, um, but I thought I thought it was pretty good. I think um, one of the ish, one of the things that I'm not sure I would actually run it as is has to do more with uh, how to put it. Um, it's, it's a very... It feels kind of like a masculine adventure a little bit, too, though. Uh, like, some of the stuff that, that goes into it has to deal with uh, kind of, like, feeling of ownership over people. And one of the other things that I found interesting is that the author, the author pretty much comes right out and says that this uh, module uh, might be difficult to run for players. It may feel... Uh, not as cohesive as it could be if there isn't at least one medium female humanoid.
0: So you,
1: so. That's oddly specific, okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that was actually far. I was like, I need to find out more about this because it said that. Like, it's a very specific thing.
0: So, c- can you explain why without spoiling the mystery?
2: Uh, not without spoiling it, but we could just say that we don't care about spoilers.
0: I mean, I guess I'm willing to say at this point, um, if you if you're listening and you care about spoilers and you don't want to be spoiled on this adventure, then then fast forward a few minutes because uh, I want to hear why <laughs> why this adventure requires somebody to play a medium sized female humanoid.
2: Okay, so um, fast forward. Okay, great. Uh, so the thing is, is that basically everyone in town has been killed, and it it was because. Um, one of the human women uh, eloped with a half-orc and that angered her father. So she he killed her and the half-orc husband who because they, they had a kid together.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's how the father found out. And then the other half-orc went on a rampage and killed everyone else in town. So, except for the kid. So okay. the kid is still alive and will cling to... Uh, if if there's only one female PC that he'll cling to that person as his new mother and if there's more than one he'll pick one of them that reminds him most of his mom probably the one with high charisma charisma based and make that his mom.
0: Interesting.
3: Interesting.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of like that. that's the part that I don't know if I would run it that way uh, mm-hmm. and it also is kind of funny because to me, because like you go through those those different options, and and also, uh, so if if there there's a female character, one of the ways he might can make himself known is that he'll try to rescue uh, if there's one woman, that woman from the rest of the group. So, but so there's options given if there's one, if there's a, a couple, but not if there's all women. I have no idea how this this kid would react if all women showed up on his island, but but yeah.
1: Okay, I'm not understanding what you meant when you said it, it felt like a very masculine adventure. I was kind of confused by that, but now what, after your exp- explanation, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I mean, a lot of it is about like male rage over finding out uh, things, <laughs> like mm-hmm. like something you didn't like. So what you do is you go and kill everything. You
0: slaughter the entire uh, town. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it was hard. It's hard to explain. I think without spoiling it, like why I felt that way. But it was just. It's just interesting and. So yeah, so I think in some way, it. I some of the things I like that are interesting, even with those spoilers, and 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 some of the things that like I might question is that it's not saying that what the guys did was a it was a good thing or anything. It's kind of neutral on it, which is at least better than I've I've
0: seen some stuff. Sure, so. I mean then the players can make decide for themselves, right?
2: Right. So I did like that part uh, and stuff, and I probably wouldn't quite necessarily automatically have the. Any female character that happened to show up, that the the kid decided would be his new mom, because <laughs> like he could want a dad too. You're right. So as a um, dad, I
0: can agree. <laughs>
2: yeah, but it, but it does. I think also though bring up like interesting questions of what do you do with this random half orc uh, feral child?
0: Right. Yeah. No, and, that and... it's got all kinds of things.
2: Yeah, and I, and it, I guess it. I feel like
0: it doesn't. It doesn't require. The medium-sized female humanoid, right? It it could have been anything, and just written more neutrally,
2: right? And 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 so like you might, so DMs might want to run it that way too, like where it's not really required. There's no reason it has to be done uh, this particular way. It just happened to be the way that the the author did it, and 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 finding a way for the the kid to still see something in one of the party members that says parent you know you could get all the same stuff from right. it but a lot of it is that through the interactions with the kid a lot of stuff gets revealed uh the mystery unfolds okay well that's
0: cool. be i mean I, I i like a good mystery sort of adventure it sounds like uh, Adam and Teen chef was the same way in terms of the two adventures that were that were highlighting here uh, is that first level is a really good point to to explore some other aspects of role playing in D and D because as we mentioned, first level characters are squishy.
1: How well is the uh, is the mystery revealed? I mean, is it just because I know like running mysteries, especially when it's like murder mystery type things in D and D, can be really tricky. Is it one of those like right? I can see players like easily or not easily, but like, like with a little bit of work unraveling the mystery and solving it, or is it one of those where you have to have like I mean, effectively, like, DM clue bats, so if the players are missing something, you can just, like, throw hints at them. Like, how is it kind of set up?
2: Yeah, so I think um, there's a lot of, I think, thought put into... How to put it? Uh, As long as the players care to be inquisitive and ask questions, I think it's pretty easy to unravel over time, particularly with the DM being able to use, like, uh, the child, Ruby. Mm. Uh, to point out things, um, but I think if you have players that aren't going to interact and ask, like, what does the uh, what does the wound look like, it may be a little harder.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty specific thing to ask about.
2: Uh, just because, yeah. Or you know, and just not looking around. But the, part of the thing is, and I think this is, goes back to why there is exhaustion at the beginning, is because the the place where they can stay right away it's very cold. So in order to get rid of the exhaustion, it's kind of uh, suggested that they start a fire. So which would require them to go, and but there's no obvious wood right away. So, so they have that, to go find stuff they can burn, sure. and then they would uncover bodies. So I think the author did work hard oh, in sure. that aspect. To try to force the players to go out looking for things.
0: That's going to lead them to clues. Yeah. And mysteries are hard, right? I mean, on one hand, I was just saying how great they are for first level adventures. But on the other hand, like, I, when I'm running in a mystery, I always try to err on the side of making it too easy. Because right. what seems obvious to you as the DM may never occur to any of a group of players ever, you know? Uh, that is the, very and, true. And then the adventure is just done, right? So, so uh, make it more obvious. If we're getting into some advice, make it more obvious than, than necessary, but it sounds like the author made some effort to to lead them towards some of those clues.
2: Right. Yeah, and the, and the author definitely says it's it's much easier if the if the party decides to take the kid in and and react to how the kid's reacting.
0: Mm-hmm. Does it require um, some heavy role-playing skills from a DM since they have to be playing this kid in a specific way?
2: Uh, it, it may a little bit, but I think it's pretty... Th- there's lots of suggestions I found okay. through it. to, to just, Like, the, the kid's mother uh, did a lot of art stuff, so as you see different paintings of hers are in the... It's not that big of a little port thing. It's like, there was like maybe 10 people total. Uh-huh. Uh... Uh, if you see her painting, the kid will get excited because it because the kid will recognize uh, her signature, um, mm-hmm. sort of thing. So like, there's there's pointing out stuff like that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I feel like there was something else I was gonna ask, but I don't remember what it was now. So, okay. Oh oh oh. Um, setting. Does it have a specific setting?
2: It doesn't seem to know. Like, okay. it It has names, but it's like you're in a ship and you find a port town and the port town has a name, but other than that, there's no real setting
0: to it. Yeah. It's just one of the... I know that when the DMs Guild first came out, um, we've interviewed some people and talked to some people about, you know, who should be publishing where and what, and it basically came down to, um, at least especially from Wolfgang Bauer, who said, well, based on the licenses... Unless you're publishing, you know, realms or Ravenloft stuff, there's no reason to publish it on the DMs Guild, put it on on RPG Now or whatever, and and retain the rights to it. Um, It sounds like this person did not necessarily follow that advice, (laughs) because it sounds like it's fairly setting neutral, and it could have been published anywhere.
2: Yeah, because I don't think, because there's a couple of references to different gods, but I I didn't recognize it as anything uh, setting specific. Okay. Or, and neither did it have to be. Yeah, it definitely also plays a little bit into the, um, because you had the half-orcs and humans, <laughs> that, like, the the little bit of uh, what I'll call it fantasy racism.
0: Sure, the racial stereotypes of, of D&D.
2: Yeah, and, and, like, how the two shall not mix and everything else. Like, there's definitely a very uh, bigoted uh, character Sure. Okay.
0: Any other questions for Tracy about uh, was it the sun goes down with a ruby smile? It's got a long title. Yeah, it's I got mean, an. Au- they all have long titles, but that one I can't shorten. <laughs> so.
2: It's got an author's title.
0: Yeah.
3: Like yes, a it's true. But I don't have any questions.
0: Jonathan.
1: No, nothing else from me.
0: All right. Then we're going to go ahead and call that the end of the episode.
2: Uh, We would like to say thanks to our guests, Allison Rossi. Uh, Where can people find
3: you? You can find me mostly on Twitter. My username is at charm underscore underscore person. Awesome.
2: And Jonathan Green.
1: Uh, Yeah, you can find me uh, most likely on Twitter uh, at john underscore m underscore green.
0: Not the other John Green.
1: No, not the author John Green, or you'll be very disappointed. <laughs> That's right. Although the tweets will probably be better if you do that. Say that, the, the, that might not be a bad idea. The
0: other John Green does not tweet nearly enough about D&D.
1: <laughs> so you tweet at him, let him know to tweet more about D&D, That's right. and then everyone will be happy. Right. And I'll take Flawless credit.
2: plan. <laughs> Uh, and we'd also like to say thank you for all of you for supporting the show by uh, shopping from our affiliate links when you use Amazon or DMs Guild, or by supporting us over at patreon.com slash show.
0: And if you want to get a hold of us, you can email show at gmail.com. That's TheToMShow, all one big word, at gmail.com, or call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME, 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E.
2: And that's episode 267, where we re- reached into a bag of holding and pulled out four DMs Guild products in this episode of...
1: I'm on
2: the
3: wall.